And welcome to season three of the JKR podcast presented by JKR Baseball. My name is Jay Shriglin and I will be your host. We're excited to continue the JKR podcast with season three of episodes. This season, we are expecting many great series with top-tier travel organizations across the country, while we also spotlight commits, collegiate, and professional players from across the United States. It is our goal to be the player's platform for all of prep baseball. As we continue to do this, make sure to stay on top of the J-Care podcast episodes, but also tune into the other features that J-Care Baseball presents. That includes blogs like the lineup card written by John Sparacco, player-based events like Battle of Indiana, Summit City Baseball Academy, and other events being announced very, very soon. With Season 3, that comes two new programs for athletes to enjoy. Those are the JKR Brand Ambassador Program and the JKR Athlete Creators Program. To stay on top of all these features, check out jkrpodcast.com to learn more. I genuinely appreciate everything you guys have done for me and the JKR brand over the past two years, and I hope to continue to build both the JKR brand and the game of baseball for years to come. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode sponsor is Mind Baseball, located in Dallas, Texas. Their bats are made from 100% European beech wood, which allows for more density, which then leads to more power. I mean, who doesn't want more power? We all know chicks dig the long ball. Multiple studies prove that beech outperforms maple, birch, and ash that you're probably used to swinging. Beech wood straight grains mean for less breaks, and Mind Baseball exceeds the MLB regulations in that category. Are you also frustrated with seeing the dried paint spots on your barrel? Mind Baseball uses a family secret technique that leaves a perfect finish every time. If you set their bat next to another brand, you will make sure that you see the difference. Lastly, they also use a built-in grip to reduce vibrations. It is the same technology that is used to reduce recoil in rifles. Make sure to check them out. Go find them on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, on Instagram, their username is at mine, M-I-N-E, baseball. Check them out, but let's dig into today's episode. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we have former Padres and Royals prospect, elite baseball training and Cub Scout team director, Chris Tierney, on the JKR Podcast. Chris, super pumped to get you on the show, man. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this. Hey, of course. So before we dig into, you know, elite baseball training, before we dig into your baseball career, Cub Scout team, just, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody to get on the JKR Podcast, and that is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Chris Tierney? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I could go into the whole standard bio thing, but I guess the, the whole nutshell is I'm a baseball guy, and this is what I do. Um, I'm super passionate about what I do. I'm from the Chicago area. I had a chance to play for a long time, and I feel really fortunate to wake up every day and do what I absolutely love for a living. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I love baseball. Baseball is my thing. I love business. I love growing organizations. Uh, it's something I'm really passionate about, which is why this fall is super exciting for us. Okay. Awesome. Well, before we dig into Cub Scout team, before we dig into elite baseball training, I want to throw it back, you know, a couple years there going through, you know, maybe your recruiting process to Arkansas, going through the MLB draft there. I believe it was what, 2001, 2002, I believe. Uh, but take us through that recruiting process to Arkansas, kind of what put them on top and just take us through maybe your baseball upbringing as well. Yeah. So, so it's born and raised in Joliet, uh, lived there for a long time, went to Lockport High School, um, moved over there. Pardon me, send another call. Uh, and uh, so so moved there when I was 13, 14, went to Lockport High School, had a great experience. Uh, teams were always good. Um, and, and the recruiting process was really interesting because, like, I was always a solid player, but um, like as a freshman, I was, like, number five pitcher on the team. You know, sophomore was more of a first baseman, got called to varsity and didn't really throw a whole lot. And then I just grew and started throwing harder and, uh, you know, I'm a left-handed pitcher, and, and that's what I was. And then – um, you know, I, I started as a junior throwing like upper 80s, you know, around there and then kind of popping home the higher in the summer. Uh, and, you know, I, I started doing a lot of stuff and then I started getting offers and visits. Like it's something we talk about all the time, too, because like the college recruiting process is so different now than it was back then, where it was like, um, you know, it was like in the early 2000s and you could go on your official visits. It wasn't early committing. No one did that. It didn't matter if you were the number one player in the country. You did not commit until your senior year of high school. Get your visits in, have those guys fly you down, 
uh, see the campus, which is what a lot of guys don't do now. They simply commit without even stepping foot on it sometimes, which is, is what it is. But like, it was a better process, I think, in a lot of ways. And hopefully they go start going back to more of that stuff. But like, um, I think that was like the super important part of it because like, you know, I went on a ton of visits, you know, like uh, Iowa was my first one, uh, Clemson, Wake Forest, Arkansas, um, you know, I went to all these places, got visits, offers and all that. But at the end of the day, like the the biggest decision for me was I wanted to pitch in the SEC. And I, you know, I, I bet on myself. I believed that I had a great, great opportunity there um, in the competition and facilities. And that's a hard thing, too. Like when you go to Arkansas and you see Bomb Stadium and there's 22 upper deck suites and, you know, 12,000 people a game. And you go there and they're telling you, you know, imagine pitching around a Friday night in front of LSU and there's 13,000 crazy you know, Hogs fans, it's yeah. like when you're seven years old, that sounds pretty damn cool, right? So uh, that was the process with that. Like, uh, I went to Iowa on a visit because I wanted to just kind of check out a Big Ten school. Uh, the one thing that Iowa did not have in their favor was it was October and there was a huge snowstorm. And I just remember thinking, even though I was not like that, I've been there so many times since then, you know, it was just it, it, the snowstorm hit on the worst day. When I went to Arkansas, it was like a hot, sunny day. I went to the Georgia football game. You're on the sidelines. You're doing all that fun stuff. They're recruiting you, putting through the whole thing. So, so that was the biggest thing for me was I wanted to face the best competition possible. Uh, ACC was awesome. I thought SEC was maybe at a slightly different level, so I decided to go there. Uh, and that was it. But, like, it's so interesting, like, when you think about it, too, going back, like, when you're 16, 17, you're a kid. Like, you don't know anything. You don't know how the world works. And sometimes when we're doing this stuff with our players, we forget to step back. And it's like, these are kids. They're going to make mistakes. I made so many mistakes at that, that age. Like, so, you know, and now, like, a lot of times, too, you go through the recruiting process. And you see a lot of schools that, that over-recruit. And they do that stuff. And, like, you want to shy guys away from those schools. It's like, well, maybe this mid-major is better because you're going to go in there and play right away. But then you go back into it when you were 17 years old and it's like, you don't want to hear that. It's like yeah. Ole Miss, Arkansas. Like, I'm going to bet on myself. <laughs> you're a gung-ho high school kid. You believe in yourself. So, so that was it. I mean, the recruiting process back then was just so much different. I think the one great thing was the fact that like their official visits, they would fly me down, you know, uh, their family would have to drive and all that, but like you'd get there and like you'd spend a day with the team. And then maybe the next night was with the coaching staff or vice versa. And you'd be in a hotel and you go to a football game. And it was just, a really, really good experience. And, you know, um, you know, Van Horn was, he would have been my, he, he just started Arkansas when, when, when I would have been there. And obviously his track record, I think it was at Nebraska before that was really good. Um, but, but that was, it was just competition and facilities and, and I made my decision based off that. Okay. So you talk about how different the recruiting process was back then to what it is today. Do you kind of see that going back to where it was back then with this new rule that came into effect about August 1st of co coaches not being able to reach out and all the different, you know, NCAA regulations put into play this past spring? Yeah, I think it's a good starting point. I think it's, I think it's like a good halfway point um, to get to where, I don't know. I mean, I don't think necessarily have to go all the way back to where they were, but, but yeah. And you, and you see a lot of kids like, and I get it all the time, right? Like we've, we've had five or six division one, uh, six division one commits in my 2024 class so far, like every year, we have a lot of D2 and D3 and Juco kids. And, you know, and a lot of times like kids will, it's social media. Social media has just been a game changer in a good way. It does a lot of good things because you can promote yourself, but it does a lot of bad things too, because like when you see the videos from a lot of players, you see the trailer, right? You see the snippets that people want you to see. You see this kid throwing 95 at some school and it's a three pitch strikeout or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, he might've watched five guys that game. He might've watched six guys, but people see that. And then my guys are like, man, that guy's 95 and he's six, five and he's committed here. Like he's got to, I've got to be perfect. Cause that's all I'm seeing online. Like yeah. you're not seeing the bad things. So it does create like a lot of, creates a lot of anxiety and stress with my guys. And I think a lot of players simply want to commit because they want to put it on social media I think that's a big reason why a lot of players commit to schools that maybe they shouldn't commit to because they want to put the biggest and best on social media and they want to, you know, get the gratification off of likes and all that stuff, which is kind of a bummer because I think it's made kids make a lot of decisions. Like I've talked to a couple guys this year that have been bounce backs from, uh, from pretty big schools. Right. And they both said, you know, one of the biggest mistakes we made was we committed before we even saw campus and there's, that part too like 
you're going to go to a big, especially if you're a power five campus, it's hard to not like any of them. It's going to be a good opportunity, but like, you never know until you go there. Like you never know until you meet the coaching staff in person. And I've had not personally my guys, cause I don't, I, I make sure they don't do that. But like, I've seen guys like commit to schools before even talking to the head coach and, or even talking to the pitching coach or talking about what do you guys do for development in this area, seeing the weight room facilities, what do you do for classes? What's the schedule like tutoring all that. And, um, hopefully this new decision allows kids to make more like, I guess, organic, natural decisions, you know? And, um, you know, I was talking to, a, a, a big 10 school about this last year and they're like, you know, when we recruit a guy, it's like a four month period. Like you want to get to know him. You want to get to know their personality. And I think it shouldn't just be on the coach's side. I think it should be on the player's side as well, because especially if you're a guy that has the potential at one point to get drafted and go pro, um, you want to go somewhere where you're going to get developed over a three or four year period. Mm -hmm. So another thing that has maybe changed since you've kind of gone through it and probably social media probably does play a big role in this as well. Travel baseball. I know when I was talking to Bobby earlier, he said travel baseball was starting to get ramped up back in the early nineties when he was going through it. I'm sure, you know, it was a little bit different for you being there in the early two thousand, late nineties, early two thousands, but I'm sure it's a lot different than it is nowadays. Kind of take us through, through your eyes, what you've seen, maybe the differences from when you were playing ball and how it's evolved here these past, you know, 22, 23 years or so. Yeah. So, um, Sorry, my phone. Uh, so, yeah, it's been different because, like, back then, like, I remember, you know, like, my travel team in high school, like, we had, like, everyone was a pretty much a power five commit. You know, you'd have multiple kids on every team get drafted because there weren't a lot of travel teams, you know, and it was it was house ball. And then we went to travel where you played, you know, when I was 13, I played my first travel team, 13 or 14. But you still played, like, I played at St. Joe's and Joliet. It was a great experience. I rode my bike there. I lived four blocks away. You'd, you'd go watch the older kids play on the big field and get a foul ball and get like a concession stand little 25 cent thing with it. I mean, it's just like a fun experience, you know, and, and that slowly went away. But like back then it was like, if you were in a travel team, like there were only a handful. And I mean, there were guys I played with in pro ball where it's like, Hey, I remember playing you at a tournament in Dallas or wherever, because like every team was filled with those kind of guys. Now it was different. Now things have evolved too, especially with, with elite, just because like we're such a big training organization we train major league players, our tech, all that stuff is really good. So like everyone that comes in our program, you have access to things that you just would not have. Um, and, and the training is, is really second to none, but like a lot of travel ball has become watered down in the fact where it's like, you know, it's going to be a lot of money and you're not going to get a whole lot of value out of it, which is something that drives our business to give as much value as possible. But the way that it's changed is simply because, um, everything's travel now and house has kind of gone uh, to the wind. There are great travel programs. There are some that aren't so great, you know, there's this and that, but back then it was like, um, I, it was the best of the best. I mean, one of my travel teams had ended up having out of 21 guys, 17 of them got drafted at some point, which uh, was pretty dang good to team to be at. at that point. Like that would be the number one team in the country right now. If you said a team had 17 kids get drafted uh, back then, it was like there were a handful of teams in the same situation. Yeah, so throwing it back a little bit into your pro career. So, you know, you wanted to go to Arkansas, wanted to go to the SEC, but you never got the chance to pitch there because you were drafted out of high school. Take us through just the weeks leading up, I guess, after your senior year comes to an end, those weeks leading up to the draft. Take us through what that's looking like and just kind of give us your draft story as well. Yeah, so, uh, you know, and maybe because social media wasn't really prevalent back then, um, like, you didn't, like, there wasn't as much hype as there is now. So, like, Going into my senior year, I started to pop. My fastball started to get into the, the low 90s. You know, I'm a 6'6 lefty and two-seam, all that good stuff. And um, I started to get phone calls saying, hey, you know, it might be like a, somewhere in the 10th to 15th round type deal. And it's like, okay, awesome. I had no idea that I was even going to be a pro guy at that point. Uh, and then I kept getting better over the course of the season. Uh, and, and then actually, I think the game that, that really, like, put me over the top was, like, it was my last high school game. Uh, I was pitching against a, a guy who ended up being a first rounder. And it was, uh, they were probably, I, I don't even know, 50 to 70, 80 scouts. I don't even know. It was just ridiculous. And it was about a week before the draft. And um, I was, you know, it was low 90s and 93. I don't, I don't know what it was. It was thrown hard. And um, everything was on. I had a perfect game into the eighth inning, actually, one of the extra innings. And it was just a really good opportunity. And I, and I showed really, really well in front of a lot of guys, scouting directors, all that good stuff. Obviously I was going to be a high pick. 
guy was pitching against and ended up going in the first round. And it was kind of like the matchup of like the century type deal, you know, a week before the draft, the last game of the high school regular season and all that. And, and after that game, all of a sudden it was like, you know, like I'm getting phone calls like, Hey, will you go if we take in the fourth round, the fifth round, you know, sixth round, stuff like that. And uh, it, it just kind of like, it took me to a different level, especially after that game. Um, but like a lot of it was great because like, I didn't really know I was a draft guy until like the spring of my senior year. So it wasn't like I was thinking about it and putting pressure on myself about it for four years. And even when it happened, it was just like, okay, cool. I'm just going to go about business. It really didn't affect me in a whole lot of ways. And I think that allowed me to continue my success. Yeah. So, you know, leading up to the draw. So I guess the week after that big time matchup, take a perfect game into the eighth inning, you know, what are those conversations you're having with, with coach, sorry, with, uh, with teams, with executives, with your family, what are those conversations looking like in terms of, do I sign, do I go to Arkansas and how did that experience kind of lead you to what benefits does that bring your players when you have, or maybe giving them a little bit of advice as well? So, yeah, so like there were a lot of in-home visits. You know, you get the the cards sent to you and you fill out all the stuff and get in the system. Then there were a lot of in-home visits, you know, scouts, the area scout or whoever it may have been, you know, coming in and uh, just getting to know your personality, all the psychological stuff, whatnot, uh, going through that. Um, and then it led up to draft day where, you know, draft day, you're just, you're getting phone calls and, you know, hey, if, if you know, I remember specifically, uh, I guess I can say the name now, he's... Yankees called me and they said, Hey, if we take you in the fifth round and, and give you slot money, would you sign? And of course the answer is like, yeah, let's do it. And so fifth round comes, I'm thinking for sure, like Yankees are going to take me. Uh, it, it passes. Then you get like another call from the other team. Hey, if we take you in two picks, are you going to sign? It's like, let's do it. And then it happens a bunch of times. And then uh, Royals called me. I think I was fifth or sixth pick in the seventh round, something like that, like 205 or 206 overall. And they didn't call me. I actually, uh, I heard and saw my name like on the, on the ticker. Uh, and it was like, Oh, all right. Like it was weird because the Royals were a team that I didn't really have a whole lot of contact with, you know, like there's certain teams too. It's like, you know, the white Sox. like I'm with them all the time. I know their guys. You probably know their guys too. You know, it's like, okay. I thought for sure they were going to draft me because I spent so much time with them. Then the Yankees and the diamondbacks and then, you know, the nationals, well, which was, I think at the last time it was like their last year as the expos maybe. And like, I, I'm like, those teams are going to take me because I've had so much conversation. I've never really talked to the Royals uh, and they just kind of took me. And I think it was, I think it was the best situation, you know, um, in that situation too, like, you know, like you, you get drafted, you sign, or I didn't sign. I, I held out for like five, maybe five weeks or something like that. And uh, I was going to go to Arkansas because you meet with them. And uh, it's, it's, interesting. I guess, I guess I can talk about this stuff because it's, you know, it's, it's over 20 years later, but like, Back then, like you go out and it's like you go out to dinner and they bring you know a couple of scouting staff in and they present you with a number and of course the number is always like huge low ball offer. It is what it is. And it's like I'm I'm not signing for that. You know, it's like this is like half of what you gave your seventh rounder last year. You know, and then it's the back and forth. Like, well, we don't know if you can go any higher. And it's like, well, I'm going to Arkansas then. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, okay. And then magically the um it gets bumped up fifty <laughs> more and more and more. And at that point, like the whole argument was like, you know, they say like the, the key to negotiation is not being afraid to walk away. I generally just wasn't afraid. It's like, I'm just going to go to Arkansas and pitch in the SEC. I really don't care. Like, you know, and then of course, Arkansas is telling you, I'll oh, come here and there'll be a first rounder in three years. I'm sure it's the pitch they give to everybody. But, um, and then I held out and I wasn't going to sign and they kept upping the offer. And then after I would say, you have to give me more, like give me a respectful amount. It was always like, well, well, Chris, it was nice to meet you. We'll see you in three years. If you hope you have a great career at Arkansas. <laughs> and then it's like phone rings the next day. Okay, we can do this for you. And like you have that happen so many times. But really the kicker was like the kicker was like after like five weeks, they flew in uh, a cross checker. And we had a conversation where it's like, hey, like our job with Kansas City is to is to keep you for, for 20 years. Like we want to keep you. We want to, you know keep you healthy. We want to make sure that you have the best development as possible. Uh, and you know, the school you're going to, you're going to go through three years. And if you pitch really well, and I think Arkansas went to the world series, uh, two out of the first three years, I would have been there. I mean, it would have been an awesome experience. If I went there and excelled, which I'm sure I would have, because I excelled my first three years of throw ball, like might've thrown a ton and who knows what happened. You know, I had a guy that I played with, uh, was a first rounder out of high school and, uh, ended up not signing. And went to the school and ended up having Tommy John never play pro ball. And it's like, man, you turned down two million bucks at high school. 
And that could have happened to me. I could have went there and been a first rounder. Like, you never know. But the thing that I loved about KC so much and what made me feel like I made the right decision was Kansas City was a different organization. You know, like the GM knew my parents' names. And it was like a, a Midwestern. It was just an awesome Midwestern feel, which is who I am. It's what I like. Like, everyone knew each other. It was like a chill approach. Uh, and I played for other organizations where it was just, you know, different, at least with the staff there at the time. So that's, I, they just made me feel extremely welcome and warm the entire time. It was all about like development where I feel like Arkansas might've had to go in right away and like succeed right away, throw a ton right away, do your thing. And then three years later, you're out. And then it's like next guy. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't want to say anything bad about Arkansas because Arkansas, I love those guys. And it would have been an awesome experience. I love that school. I just think Casey was a better decision for me at the yeah, time. So you make that decision to sign, kind of take us through what the rest of that season's looking like. Maybe some of the biggest surprises you saw in your first year of pro ball, what kind of looked like going down to, I believe it's Arizona where the Royals are at. Um, just kind of take us through that first pro ball experience or that first. Yeah. Season. I, was, I was actually in Florida my first year because it was the year before we moved to our new complex in surprise. And um, uh, I flew down for rookie ball. And uh, I threw 21 innings and I had like a seven ERA or something. It just wasn't good, you know, because you're used to in high school, like striking out 15, 16 guys a game. And if you didn't strike out 15 games, it was, it was a bad game for you. And that was the high school experience, you know? And then when you get to pro ball, it's like my ERA is 6.9 in rookie ball. Like what's going on, you know? And it was the fact that like, I didn't have a changeup, you know, uh, I was, probably 2.2 seconds to home plate guys were stealing on me left and right. And it's like, I can't just throw, you know, 90 plus mile an hour, two seam fastballs and curveballs and strike everybody out. This is a different game, you know? And I walked, I didn't, as a junior in high school, I remember going back and I, I had a conversation with a scout and I walked 60 guys like in 88s as a junior. And I didn't know much. I thought, yeah, but I struck out 155 guys. Right. And it was like, yeah, but like, you need to be like one per three innings or something, whatever you told me, but I remember it sucked. And then I ended up walking like 20 guys in 80 innings my senior year, uh, which really elevated my draft stock as well. So like going to the next level, like it was like every time I went out, I had like a new revelation like that. And, and really like, you know, all the stuff that I struggled with in rookie ball and you're thinking the whole time, it's like, man, like, am I going to get cut? You know, they just drafted me like, you know, I'm not doing very well, but then it was like, Hey, you're going to instructional league. We're going to work on a change up, a pickoff move. We're going to work on, you know, first pitch strikes, all the important stuff. And I dominated the next year. I went up to spring training. I threw, I think, 21 scoreless innings in spring training. And that's when I skipped short season. I went straight to A-ball in the Midwest League uh, in, in Burlington, Iowa. And I spent the year there. And, and I had a really good year. I, I had a 3.25 ERA. You know, I was the youngest player in the league. I was 18. And and, and I really excelled. And um, I, I, mean, I wasn't like an overly hard thrower. I, my fastball was 88 to 93, maybe. Just Lefty, just two-seam fastballs. I had a ton of movement on my fastball. Pitch to contact, get ahead. Uh, and that's really what it was. So, like, that first year, uh, I got a really good taste of fall ball. And then I spent my entire offseason, like, when I did throw, like, I worked on a pickoff move in the mirror every single night. I would watch, like, Andy Pettit was one of my favorite guys ever growing up. He was, like, my idol. I used to love watching him pitch. And, like, his pickoff move was, was so good. Uh, I, would, I would watch videos of him and try to mimic everything possible. And then the next year when it came to spring training, I had an awesome changeup and a really good pickoff move. Uh, and it just took my game to the next level. Yeah. So, you know, as I'm talking to a bunch of guys from across the country that are pitchers, that when they're like, you know, in the fall, deloading in the, in the you know, late winter, early spring, they're ramping back up. What does that schedule look like for a professional pitcher? Obviously going through instructs in the fall. Obviously, I think it was probably a little bit different back then because I know arm cares, you know, really excelled the past, what, probably 10, 15 years or so. But kind of oh, yeah. what does that look like for you as a professional pitcher, kind of taking care of your arm? Yeah, so significantly different back then, I would assume. I mean, I still did like all my bands and, and you know, five-pound weights and, and shoulder exercise. You got to go through the Joe program and all that good stuff. But like, really, when you come back from instructional league, which I went to my first few years, like, um, I think maybe it was done like in mid to late October, something like that. Um, it was really nothing for a month. Like, they wanted you to do nothing. I would golf with my buddies and just do something active, but just not throw baseball. I really wouldn't lift weights or do anything for a month. And then once November would start up in November, I'd get back in the weight room early December. I start my throwing program. It was more like get a feel throughout December, 
start getting longer into it, long tossing, ramping on in January, and then early February, you're getting on the mound, and then really not getting full speed until like the last week of February. And uh, I, I mean, that part's really important. Like, obviously, a pro schedule is different than an amateur schedule. Like, now we have guys, which is kind of a shame. Like, they're going to showcases like the first week of January, and they're ramping up, they're trying to do max velo volcans, and it's like, you're going to peak in January and February. You don't want that. I, I mean, so that's why you see a lot of velo drop in the summer. But at our level, too, it's like really you might not get until far, full arm strength until some point to the middle or late of spring training. And you don't want it to be any different because the season is so long. Like, you know, there's going to be a point in the season where your arm's going to feel like crap for two weeks. It was for my entire nine or ten year career. It's just how it is. Um, so I think going into that and then spring training was – pretty chill you know it's first you know an inning then two innings then three and then four and you keep building you keep building into it but like making sure that like the off season is not over strenuous which is i think a big difference between the amateur side of it where kids are trying to get recruited and they're running and gunning nonstop. ours is more like hey you got spot let's ramp up into it does that make sense yeah, of course. Um, so when you were going through your career, you know, got the chance to play rookie ball, and then you play, you said you got the chance to actually restart that. So during your professional career, you know, got the chance to play rookie ball. You said you skipped single A a short season, but playing single A full, high A, kind of take us through the biggest differences you've seen at each of those levels um as a pitcher. Yeah, it's just it's it's the it's the older guys, you know, it's it's playing with like you know, I was talking to one of my high school pitchers about this uh the other day, and he's he's really a pitcher, one of the best pitchers in the country, actually. I doesn't play for me, but, like, we were having a conversation, and it's like, he's dominant against, you know, he'll go to Jupiter and dominate, he'll go here and dominate, and it's like, you really haven't faced that good of hitters yet. And, like, when, when I was in that level, you know, there were guys like, you know, uh, Ryan Terrio and Mike Fontenot, if you remember those names, you know, like, guys that got to the big leagues. They were LSU and, like, college juniors and, like, high-level guys, like, those were the guys that were annoying. If you put me out there against a kid that was a first round pick, uh, I liked pitching against those guys because they chase, they chase everything. They're not patient. They're trying to hit a ball as far as they can. Uh, it doesn't matter if they just got a huge signing bonus or whoever they are. Like they're not good hitters, but then you'd face like the 24th round pick who was a college senior at Stanford. And you just rip a ball. That's like this much off the corner. He takes it. And it's like, come on, man, like roll over it, do something. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're 3-0 and it's like, it's just a much harder at bat. So like, as you advance to the minor leagues, like you, that's just what it is. It's just guys getting more disciplined, more approach. They're not chasing. It's just harder. Like your pitch count gets driven up. Um, you want those guys that are free swingers. And that was the great thing about it. Like I had a great two-seam fastball. I'm going to throw that pitch two, three inches below the zone first pitch. And those undisciplined hitters are just going to two hop at shortstop. Whereas the the other guys that are more disciplined as you go, like they just take it. And then all of a sudden you're 2-0 and then you got to figure out a way to get back in the zone and give them, you know, their pitch. So I think that's the biggest difference as you continue to move up. Okay. So you're drafted by the Royals, end up playing for the Padres as well in their system. You're playing for, playing for both those organizations. Take us through the comparison amongst the, how their minor league system was ran back in the, you know, early mid two thousands. Yeah. So, so, after my second year, uh, at the end of my second year, um, I was in high A in, in Wilmington, Delaware, in the Carolina League, and then I got traded. I was actually playing in Myrtle Beach against uh, it was the Braves back then, and uh, uh, that's when I got traded. And I was having a pretty good year, or actually, my year was okay. You know, I was, I was still nineteen in high A. I was, you know, advancing pretty fastly, um, and then it was right around the trade deadline. Um, they, I was shagging left field and, you know, Myrtle Beach. Skipper, you know, Billy Gardner calls me in the office. Of course, everyone looks at you like, you know, you don't want to get called in by the manager. And it's like, well, I know I'm not getting released because I was, you know, fairly good prospect with Kansas City and all that stuff. And sat me down and told me I was getting traded. And I said, I was very shocked. And I said, where am I going? He goes, San Diego. And I go, when do I leave? Because <laughs> you're leaving now. So the, the literally I grabbed my stuff, uh, went to the hotel, grabbed my stuff. Went to the Myrtle Beach Airport, flew to Atlanta, and then flew to Southern California uh, to, to Los Angeles. And I spent, you know, I was in the California League. And it's like, I was in Myrtle Beach this morning, and and now I'm in, uh, you know, now I'm in Lake Elsinore. And, um, yeah, it was just a quick change, like, real fast. So, like, I didn't really get a whole lot of experience with San Diego at that time because it was there was only a few weeks left in the season at that point. 
so I had a couple starts. Uh, I think I actually had one start and it was at High Desert, which is probably the worst place to pitch in the minor leagues. It's like two hours north of LA, like 5,000 elevation. The wind blows out 40 degrees. You know, guys in A ball that hit three home runs would hit 30. It was just nuts. So when they move up, but like, and I did well and then um, went to instructional league again. I think, I think the biggest difference was like, it was tough because Kansas City was my home. Like, they were my guys. I had been there for a while. I loved being there. Um, I had so much respect for those guys. And then when I, when I went to San Diego, I was a new guy. And, and I, got, I got traded for a major league all-star. I got traded for Rondell White, who, uh, which, which was pretty cool to say that I got traded for a big leaguer, you know, all-star. And, and so they had, like, stuff invested in me. Um, I think the biggest difference was, like, KC was a lot of Midwestern guys. Uh, San Diego was, like, I swear it was 75% California guys. And I like California guys. There's children, this and that. It was just like, everything was different. You know, um, California wasn't my vibe as much. You know, it was, it, I kind of felt like an outsider a little bit. Um, but then again, like, um, you know, it, they, were, they were really good people. I liked the guys there. You know, I like Bill Brick was there. who's was a Northwest Indian guy. You might know Bill. He passed away. But Bill's, Bill's a good dude. You know, uh, I, I love having him there because he's, he's a Midwestern guy and, Ty Waller was the director and, and a bunch of guys, and it was a good experience. Um, but then, you know, kind of the next year, I came out in spring training, and, and I strained my oblique, my last my last spring training start. So then you get held in extended spring training, and then there's no spot to send you back up to the California League. So I went back down to Fort Wayne, actually, and I spent time there because they had to wait for us. And then you're constantly up and down between California and Fort Wayne and all this. And, and that was kind of my experience there for a few years. And um, really the biggest difference was, you know, I hate to say anything negative because San Diego was, uh, they're good people. It was just different. Like Casey was my home and I felt like, uh, I never really felt like I kind of adapted that well in San Diego. Yeah. So you also got the chance to play independent ball there for, I believe it was what, two or three years or so. Kind of take us through that comparison between affiliated baseball, independent baseball and what that was. Yeah. So, so at my last year in San Diego, I, um, Started to, started to like feel some arm pain. Um, my velo dropped. My arm was kind of dead. All this and that. Was thinking about something maybe was going on. Uh, and then I ended up not having a good year. Uh, I, I had a bad year. I was, I was wild. I walked too many guys. It was just not a good year. And then I ended up getting released uh, that winter, right around Christmas, uh, about a week before. So I was kind of scrambling uh, to find a spot. I played some indie ball the next year, but um, – only through a handful of innings because um, my, my arm was torn. I ended up having Tommy John the following year. So, you know, I, I played for Sussex in the Can-Am League um, through a couple of good games. Had like a, a, a no-hitter one game until the seventh inning and then had like another couple of good games. And then the arm pain was just so bad, I had to shut it down. Uh, tried to rehab it. And then the next year in spring training, signed with Southern Illinois um, in the Frontier League with with Mike Pinto, who, who's an awesome guy. And, and um, you know, he, he ran that team and I made – a couple, I think three starts. And um, before my last start, like I couldn't even get the ball to home plate. Uh, the, the arm pain was that bad. But I think the difference, like, and then I played a, a little bit of indie ball after that. And indie ball was different. Like, um, it was kind of like the Wild West compared to affiliated ball in a lot of ways. You know, there's not as many rules and you don't have scouting directors on you all the time. Like everyone's goal is to get signed. Uh, and it's it's more of like, a, um, I feel like it was more pressure filled. Um you know, especially for the guys that never played affiliated ball and really wanted to get there. Like they felt like they had to perform every day where an affiliated ball was like, you can take your time, develop, you know, your job is to get to the big league slow and steady where independent ball was like, I need to get signed now. I can throw as hard as I can. I have to do this. And uh, there's, and the thing about knee ball was too, like there were a lot of really good players in the ball that never got a shot at affiliated. Uh, maybe they're a couple years too old or no one really knew who they were or something wasn't there, but it's like, man, some of those guys were actually significantly better than the guys that were in affiliated ball. And it's kind of a bummer. They never got the chance. Uh, and we would always have those conversations. You know, if this guy could go to double A right now and excel, you know, I think the hard thing about indie ball is too, it's like, depends on what team you play for. You know, like when I was with Southern Illinois, it was great. Like you get 6,000 people a game. It was, you know, first class organization. They had financing, all this. And then you play for some organizations where it's like, you know, there are a couple where it's like, we don't have the money to fly you down right now. Can you, can you take a 23 hour train ride uh, to come down here? Like for a tryout. It's like, this is like my eighth year, you know, I, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm just like kind of over it. And at that point, like my fastball, I'm, you're like 25 and you're throwing 87, 88. 
you know, I know I'm not getting signed unless I magically start throwing 94 or something tomorrow. So you're just kind of at the end, like kind of dwindling and hanging on by a thread just because you're not ready to go to the real world yet. Yeah. Um, so looking back on it for the, through those couple of years of independent ball, going through the Padre system, Royal system, just looking back on it, the entire experience, what would be some of those favorite memories that come to mind when you think of your professional baseball career? You know, my favorite memories for sure were, it was the guys, you know, it was, it, I think my first year in Burlington was awesome. Uh, you know, the Midwest league, it was great because like a few of those guys are my friends still to this day and Burlington hadn't like, you know, they had it. I just loved it there. Like, they hadn't been to the playoffs in a long time. Uh, I think the previous time they were to the playoffs was when Mark Burley was there, when the White Sox were the years before I was there. And um, and that was the first year. And and I got to pitch the game. It was the second to last game of the season. I pitched against Dayton, which was the Reds. And uh, I threw a shutout. And it clinched it to get us into our playoff berth, you know, and they're dousing you with stuff, like, after the game. And it was just, like, fun. And I never experienced that. And, like, then we had our first playoff series, and there's – 2000 like awesome people and there's people up there and overalls and midwestern burlington like farm people it's just my kind of people you know and it was it was a really cool experience there because everyone was so down to earth awesome welcoming i think it's a, it was a great spot to start your pro career so looking back at that year it's like that was like baseball that was so much fun you know and then the next year in wilmington was great you know i made some really good friends and it was bigger and better. And then there's 6,000 people a game. And then you're off days, you go to New York city for the first time. It's two hours away and you're hanging out with your boys and you're traveling. And then you realize like, you know, you'd start to get big league guys that would come down and rehab with you and be on your team. And it's like, you start to feel like I'm, I'm getting closer. Like, this is pretty cool. You know, I, I feel like this could be, I could be up there soon. And uh, I think that was, that was really it. It was like those first couple, couple years were just awesome. I'm sure. So kind of moving from your playing career to the next steps. I don't know whether that's scouting, whether that's coaching, what came first, but take us through those next steps. Kind of what, how'd you come a scout? How'd you become a coach? Just kind of what came after that playing career? Came to an end? Yeah. So, um, so after I stopped, I, I went back, I finished school, you know, in, in, um, you know, major league baseball pays for a good amount of your school. It was in my bonus, all the good stuff. So I went back, I finished, um, I worked, uh, I worked a corporate job for nine months hated it it's just not for me not my thing uh actually left my job and and um you know called one of my buddies and, and he was starting up his own baseball academy and then another one who i knew was starting his old baseball academy uh so i went and worked for them for a while and um uh you know just kind of was bouncing around and being a coach because i i just didn't want to work in a, a regular job and then i you know i thought maybe i can get into scouting so i sent messages to a ton of teams um, you know, Cleveland reached out, uh, Les Pajari reached out to me and right away, like we hit it off. He's just like a, a good Minnesota dude. And I kind of became his eyes and ears in Chicago in a lot of ways. And I recommend some guys and he'd be down here and we'd go to games together, which was great. Cause he, he teach me a lot of stuff that I just never knew. And it was, you know, we'd go out and, um, you know, then um, I, I thought maybe, you know, maybe I'll get back into this and I'll kind of get a job in there. And then um, there were a couple opportunities that presented themselves uh, that involved me to moving to different parts of the country, which I, you know, I was doing so much other baseball stuff on the side here. I just decided I didn't really want to leave Chicago, you know, so I started getting into coaching full time, which is what I did. And then uh, six years ago, uh, you know, Justin Stone reached out to me about, you know, coming over and, and running the travel program at Elite. Uh which we talked about it for a while and, you know, went through all the steps and it ended up working out. And um, I've been running the program here ever since, which has been a fa fantastic opportunity. You know, we've, we've grown like 400%, you know, in, in six years. And it's, it's been awesome, which has led to so many good things like with the Cubs and with, you know, fall and college recruiting and all that. So like, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, and I'm so thankful to be where I'm at because like, like six years ago when I got brought on here, um, I was just looking for an opportunity to show somebody uh, what I'm good at, you know, like just, and, and Justin gave me the program, you know, he kind of moved on full-time with the Cubs uh, for the most part. And, um, and I excelled at it. it. Like having that responsibility was something, something that was extremely important to me, giving me a chance to, Hey, let me show you how smart I am, how good I am with this. And he just said, here it is, it's yours. And, you know, the support staff we have and like all the guys we have at Elite are just uh, I mean, it's, it's a team thing, you know, it's not just like me or one other person doing stuff. It's like, we have like 
30 or 40 guys that are pulling in the same direction, which makes it so special. Yeah. So coaching full-time, previously being a scout, how did your playing career and all the experiences you had there, how did that enhance your roles as a coach and as a scout? So, yeah, I mean, the difference was like, um, or how, how did it affect my, I mean, like when, when you step back and you, you, you go back into the coaching perspective of it, like, I think obviously playing, like, it, it's just a completely different experience too, you know, like you're so used to, I guess, following, you know, what a coach says versus actually leading for the first time. Like it helped you, it helped you greatly, but like the first couple of years of doing it, the first couple of years of coaching, um, especially the first year, like I was fairly shy with it, you know, cause you have to like be loud and like discipline, discipline players and stuff like that. And you're used to like, I would, you're not going to sit there and like, you know, be like that with your teammates all the time. So yeah. it was just such a different perspective. I think like the first year or two, maybe the first year I was like, more of a shy coach. Now I'm the complete opposite. And I think a lot of guys are like that when they start. Um, so really that was, that was the biggest difference, but like seeing things from the outside for the first time, you know, seeing guys make mistakes that you would not see when you're in the midst of it. Um, it I, I think is a, is a big difference of it as well, but um, playing at a high level helps a lot. And I think it helps because, you know, the higher you go in baseball, the more mental it becomes and the less physical it becomes. Obviously, it's a very physical game all the way up until the big leagues. But, like, you learn. You know, and we talk about this all the time. Like, a lot of times, guys that played at a pretty high level, they're usually pretty chill coaches. You know, a lot of times, guys that are yellers and screamers are guys that maybe didn't play at that high of a level just simply because you understand that doesn't work. You know, you can't be on someone's tail the whole time, yelling, belittling, stuff like that. Like, you understand that. Um, but then you kind of go back and it's like, you realize like, well, you're coaching high school kids and this and that. And like, you kind of have to wrangle them around all the time. So like, you need to be fairly dominant when you coach, but, um, I, I don't know. I don't have to answer the question, but. Okay. So I kind of want to, I want to separate this from the scouting side to the coaching side. That way we're not you know going back and forth on it, going through your scouting career being, I believe it was an associate scout for the Indians. Take us through what that schedule was looking like spring, summer, fall, how the, how you played a role with maybe an area scout there. What was that looking like in terms of your, guess your job description, how often you were going out and what your schedule looked like? Yeah. So as an associate scout, like I was an unpaid scout, you know, my, my job, the reason I did it was to become like, to get experience, to get a foot in the door. And hopefully this leads to a full-time scouting job, which is where I wanted to go. So like really the experience there was I would, I would go out on my own and put the legwork in and use connections and try to find players that might be a right fit. Anytime the Cleveland guys were in town, uh, which was decently often, we would always go to games together and they would teach me, you know, this is the right, you know, video angles we want. Like they teach me how to write scouting reports. Like, uh, so I would learn a ton. So like, I was still like finishing school at the time. So I was getting my college degree at the time. So like, it wasn't necessarily a full-time thing, but like, um, um, it, it was really just like, I think as much work as I wanted to put into it. But like the thing that, the thing that I really liked about it was it taught me a lot of things. It's like, you know, yeah, this guy might throw 95, but like, here's the reason why we don't want to draft him. And I'm thinking you got to take him, look at the stuff. And then you look into it, It's like, okay, the body moves a certain way or, the breaking ball or the command. It's like, you're right. Like this isn't going to play against pro guys right now. Maybe he's a guy that needs to go to school or this. So you just learn a lot of stuff that you don't always see when you're on the inside of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So learning the evaluation side of, it, I know you kind of touched on it there, but what were some of those biggest lessons that you learned from scouts, just the conversations you were having there at the beginning. And then when you are, let's say you're going to a game, seeing a player for the first time, I asked the same question to Bobby here earlier this morning. What's kind of the first thing you're looking at? when you go about evaluating a ball player? There's a few things like one for sure is like projectability. And if you look at him, you say like, okay, this kid's, you know, he's, he's six, one, 200. And he's, you know, he's not going to probably throw any harder or might not get a whole lot better. You know, everyone, everyone wants that pitcher with good stuff. That's, you know, six, five, one eighty, right. Who's, who's going to be two twenty five one day. And he's, he's going to fill out and kind of be that guy. So I think projectability too, but like one thing that, that we really, you know, talked about a lot and there were a couple guys that we we straight out walked away from more so you know the head guys walked away from was just the way they interacted with teammates you know we went to one game where there was a guy that we were we were probably going to draft and um he had a bad first inning i was a pitcher he had a bad first inning and the second inning or the bottom of the first whatever it was like his team actually went out and scored a few runs and tied the game at three to three or something like that and he was sitting at the end of the dugout kind of moping, didn't get up, didn't high five everyone. 
And the guy looked at me and he goes, that kid just cost himself a ton of money because he simply wouldn't get up. And he actually, he went from a guy that would have been a top pick. He didn't get drafted. Um, you know, he ended up going to school and, and I think he got drafted to college, but like he didn't get drafted to high school simply because of, you know, how he interacted when things weren't going well. And that was a lot of what we looked at that I continue to look at as well, where it's like, you know, it's in, and those conversations go into like, you know, a big part of my job is college recruiting and something that schools always ask me, especially when they're really interested in a guy is what is he like as a teammate, but what is he like when he fails? Like when things don't go well, because you understand, like, it doesn't matter if you're a first team all stater in high school, the next level you go to, you're going to face, you're gonna have a lot of failure and adversity and how do you handle it? And then there are guys that will go out and struggle and they'll be the first ones to get up and high five their teammates when they, when they score. And those kids like don't understand, like if you're a high pick, like, you can cost yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars or a major scholarship just by one or two actions. And, you know, continually going out and seeing guys until he gets to the point where he fails is, is what a lot of guys will do. So going back into my role now, like it's not as extensive as that, but like you're still looking, especially when you're looking on scout teams and stuff like that. Like, you know, we at, at elite, like we cut players every year um, that are good players that have, they're just not good for the team. You know, they're, they're, they're bad apples for the team. And that's a really important thing that goes into it. Yeah. So moving from the scouting to the coaching side, I know you said you were coaching for a couple of different programs there before you got in contact with Justin there. I think it was six years ago. You said, take us through there at the beginning, you come on to elite, what, what your job title was, what your role was and how that's evolved here these past six years. Yeah. I think it's probably what it still says on the website, which I think you were saying earlier, it's like, like liaison or scout liaison. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like people ask me what I do all the time. And it's like, I, I, I do a lot of stuff, you know, like I, I run the organization, I grow the organization, you know, we just expanded into a new facility that I had lined all that stuff. Like, you know, now it's become like when I first came on to elite, like I was coaching nonstop, you know, cause you're, you're, it's your job. And then as you continue to grow, like now my job is mainly like, I mean, it's, it's to expand and grow and like, you know, manage employees and, and hire people and let people go, which, you know, unfortunately happens. So a lot of it now is just running and managing the business, like managing the the finances, making sure like at the end of the day, like, hey, we are a business. Like there are people with salaries and, and health benefits and all this awesome stuff that you get with us that we have to make sure that we're at a certain spot to continue that growth. So the, the role has changed completely um, where like, yeah, like I'm still like talking to schools on a regular basis, but I don't think I've given a lesson it might be a couple of years. I don't even know at this point, you know, um, I just don't have time for it anymore, which is good because it means we're growing. And, and I have, you know, a lot of awesome people under me that, that help run the program that are really good at doing a lot of those things now. Mm -hmm. So as you continue on going about this growth for elite baseball training, going on, adding new people to the brand, adding new employees, whatever, how do you kind of go about that? You know, is there, I guess, hiring process? Is it people who are maybe referred to you, certain people that you're looking for? Take us through as, let's say, you're adding people to the brand, to the company. How do you kind of go about adding those people to the to uh, to Elite? Yeah, a lot a lot of times we do it. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty much like all internally, uh, people who know people. You know, baseball industry is a small world. You know, it's it's not like you just go put, you know, an ad for, I mean, you can if it's like a bigger role on ABCA or something. But like, most, I mean, most of our employees, you know, are, are part-time. We do have a good amount of full-time guys, you know, that have a lot of responsibility, but a lot of it is like, Hey, we need guys to do this. And, it, and a lot of it's too, like, if you look at our full-time guys, they all started off as part-time guys. Maybe it was a guy that came in, started coaching a team, was a good college player. You know, a lot of times those guys aren't necessarily always great coaches. So you move on from them, but then guys that come in and they say, Hey, I've got this idea for this throwing program or this thing I want to implement. And they just start taking more initiative and more roles. They're great communicators. They email well, which is, you know, a big thing in our industry. And, and Justin says this all the time. It's like, uh, just to be successful, you just have to respond to emails in the travel baseball world because there's so many that they just don't, they don't basic have basic communication skills. But like our guys that excel with that, then when full-time opportunities do arise, internally, we always have a couple options that are really good fits for that. Okay. So you're kind of moving into, well, I guess, do you talk about Justin there? I know he said he was the one that kind of hired you there for elite baseball training. He's more gone on to full-time with the Chicago Cubs. Mm -hmm. Take us through what that relationship's like with him. Yeah. Relationship's awesome. Uh, I mean, I, I talked to him today. We talked, you know, multiple times a week, you know, he still is, 
I mean, he's, he's right here. So obviously he's cheap traveling and stuff like that. But like, um, you know, now it's like, I think, I think the one good thing is he, he, you know, he trusts me to, to run, to run the, the travel program, which is, which is awesome. So like, I don't, you know, um, I mean, that's really it. I go to him if I need like some bigger things or questions, but, um, it's just a smooth process at this point. Like, um, obviously we talked about a lot of fall stuff. We'll talk about bigger picture stuff, you know, especially when we deal with expansion and whatnot, uh, and then finances. But, um, I mean, the relationship with me and Justin is extremely strong. It's really good. Um, but, um, we just kind of, we're able to do our own thing, which is nice. Yeah. So with Justin being a part of the Chicago Cubs, I think that kind of leads us into the next topic. The reason we got connected with the Chicago Cubs scout team kind of take us through how this all came about, you know, the connection with Jerry, the connection with Bobby, how Justin's involved kind of take us through this whole process. Yeah. So it came about, you know, we've always had a really strong connection, um, you know, with, with the Cubs and obviously all that. And then uh, I've been connected, you know, with Bobby, I've known Bobby for years. We've had a lot of mutual connections. So we, we started having a conversation a couple months ago about, you know, can we possibly partner with this thing, you know, with, with elite and five-star and then everything um, for Jupiter. And then it, um, you know, it, it turned into something really good and big because we made a pretty robust fall schedule, which I'm excited about because we're going to start that on September 9th. So like, I think what makes us different than a lot of, a lot of teams and a lot of scout teams is the fact that like, we're going to play with each other for like five weekends before we actually go down to Jupiter, which is super important. Like, you know, I don't want these kids meeting each other for the first time, you know, some are returners, some are that, but like, um, really it just got connected through like a text from, from Bobby and he reached out and I called him and we started to think about how's, you know, how's this going to work? And then Jerry got involved and Jerry's been absolutely awesome. And I think the one great thing about all this is like all three of us mesh really well together. We're all baseball guys. We all have like, you know, our, our head in the, in the right position, like, obviously we're elite, they're five-star, there's this, like, um, you know, everyone has, you know, you have a lot of ambition, we're all ambitious guys, right, but I think, like, you know, we had this conversation the other day, like, sure, like, we could split up, and we could decide to try to do our own thing, but we're so much stronger together, and especially us, too, it's not like we're three guys that don't like each other, like, I, I love those dudes, I think we're going to have an awesome time this fall, I think we've got a good relationship, so I think even next year, especially getting ahead of this thing early. I think this team is, this team is really good this year, especially if you see the talent on it. I think in the years following, it's just going to go to a, to a much higher level. Yeah. I mean, that roster you guys have already put together, uh, just on the names that have been announced. I know Jerry said there's some guys who are still yet to be announced, but I mean, mm -hmm. I think he said 25, 26 division one commits on, on the same team, which is just, you know, absolutely crazy to think about. Um, but one question here for you, when it comes to you being the director, kind of being the guy behind the scenes, putting it all together, were there specific things or specific regulations you had to meet to officially be that Cub Scout team? I know the Cubs are very specific when it comes to how they distribute their brand and are very careful when it comes to who is representing them. So was there any certain regulations you had to meet when it came to becoming that Cub Scout team? Yeah, I mean, there, there are certain things we can do. There are certain things we can we can say and we can't say. Um, you know, it's our first year doing it. So I, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of caution this year. And then we do things the right way. And I think it's going to be uh, more open with a lot of things next year. But, I mean, a, a lot of it was trust. Like, you know, the, the Cubs trust us with what we're doing. Um, they know that, you know, it's it, the people and the personnel behind the scenes with this, you know, me, Bobby, and Jerry, like, we're good dudes. You know, we're – we have the right players on the team. I think a lot of it is like trial in a lot of ways, but, um, but they trust us, which is really good. And we've had a long relationship with them. So, I mean, this has been something that it didn't just happen like two months ago. It's, it's been like years on the making and then we're finally really getting official with it this year. So you guys get to go ahead, you, Jerry, Bobby kind of go about building that roster. I know there's a lot of guys from Indiana that I know pretty well, but also I've been seeing some guys up in your area. I'm, I'm sure guys that you've had previous connection with, How'd you guys go about building that roster for this 2023 Cub Scout team? Yeah. So, I mean, a few different ways, like one internally, we both had, we had some, we had some good players that we recommended for the team, right. That we put together on the team. And, um, you know, we, we, Jerry's been awesome because he's been able to go out and get us a lot of guys. Bobby's been getting guys as well. I've been getting guys. It's just been like a, like a, um, you know, kind of like a chain effect, but then also like, you know, you see this kid. And, and the one thing we won't do is, like, we don't poach, right? So if we see a kid that's committed to uh, a Jupiter team already or plays for an organization that has a Jupiter bid, like, those are guys, like, you know, there are guys that will do that. It's just not something we do. Um, you know, it's, it's a small world. But there are a lot of guys out there that were really high-level players committed to really good schools, and then we'll do stuff. Like, it's 
you know, you'll see kids, it's like, well, he throws 93, 94 or 92, whatever it is. But like, you know, let's log into PG, let's log into PBR, let's watch the videos, let's find stats on them. Let's ask people that know this kid that play with him, like, what's his command like? Or, you know, what's his defense like in the game? And then you start to do that back work and then you reach out to those kids. You know, this is like so much different than like running a travel ball org or a different situation where like you're out there hunting for players. Like people are like, people want to be on this team. So they, we've, we've gotten, re I mean, every day on social media, like we get reached out to by, by really high level players, like kids that are committed to like big power five schools that like see the name and they want to play on the team and they want to come in for a tryout. So like some of those guys we haven't announced yet, we're going down that same path with, it's just been awesome because when you have a name like the Cubs and you kind of have the stuff that we're doing, like it's just a really desirable team to play for where we do reach out and get our guys. Uh, and I have, and we've reached out to plenty of guys that are on this team, but a lot of them have reached out to us and said, we like, what can I do to be on this team? So with so many players reaching out through whether that's social media, maybe texting you, Jerry or Bobby, how do you guys go about deciding whether or not, okay, do we give this guy a tryout? Do we not? I'm sure maybe there's guys in the, in the next couple of weeks will be reaching out as well. What does that look like? And how do you guys decide, okay, do we give this kid a chance? Yeah, that's a good question because we're, you know, I get messages from, from a very wide variety of people, you know, I'll get the kid that's committed to an ACC school and then I'll get the kid who's uh, a freshman and he's, you know, not at that level or something like that. It's like, maybe we can talk in a year or two or something like that, you know? So like, it's something that like, if any of us were to go to each other and say like, Hey, you know, I've, I've got this guy and I want to be on the team. Cool. Put him on the team. No one's going to question it because we're baseball guys, but we don't do it that way. You know, we have a group chat and we just kind of have conversations. It's like, Hey, talk to this kid. What do you think? Here's all the video on him. Do you know anyone that knows him? And maybe Bob or Bobby or Jerry will go back and be like, yeah, he plays with this guy I know, or this coach I know. We go in, we do the back-end work, we make sure everything is clean and it makes sense, uh, and then we reach out to the kid and we say, like, okay, yeah, I think this could be a good fit. Um, if he's a no-doubter, we we lock him in right away. If he's a tryout guy, um, you know, we, we get on that road. But there is a lot of back-end work done on it. For every message we get, like, we talk about it, and we, it, I mean, it's like when you're a high-level baseball player, like, you're in that circle, right? So, like, we have, we probably have guys on Cubs right now that have played with that guy or whatnot or coaching staff. So we do a lot of back end work, not just like physically, there have been guys, like I said, there've been guys for this team that we have said no to because it's like, you know what? The rap on him is bad attitude or something like that. And, and, and they've been committed to major, major schools, but it's, it's just something we don't do. Mm -hmm. So looking up and down that roster, like we talked about, I think, like I said, Jerry said 25 division one commits within those 25 guys. There are some guys who have the potential to be drafted out of high school for those mm -hmm. guys. How important is, for, is it for them to play for a team like this Cub Scout team be going down to Jupiter in the fall? Where's that important importance lie? And what are some of the benefits to that? Yeah. So, I mean, Jupiter, obviously if you're a draft guy is, is super important to go to um, playing for a team like Cub Scout gives you, you know, notoriety that you wouldn't get. I mean, that's why it's, it's an appealing thing. It's affiliated with a major league baseball team. You're wearing a Cubs uniform, you know? Um, so like it, it, you know, in having us down there, like we have such strong connections at the pro level, uh, obviously to where like our guys are getting noticed, you know, like when these guys throw down there, like, you know, teams and scouts are going to have noticed, like we're going to be back there working behind the scenes, making sure the guys are promoted the right way, you know, all that good stuff. So, I mean, playing in Jupiter is extremely important. And then playing for a, you know, an MLB affiliated scout team, kind of takes that notoriety to the next level. So beyond Jupiter, I know, like you said, you guys are going to be one of those scout teams that actually are playing together the weeks leading up to Jupiter. Kind of take us through this fall schedule and what that plan is beyond Jupiter. I know Jerry said there's might be some college scrimmages. I know the PBR fall championship as well, but kind of take us through the rest of this fall. Yeah, so we're going to start um, uh, September 9th. Uh, we have a doubleheader against the Sparks at Valparaiso, uh, which will be great. Uh, two nine-inning games. And then we have a uh, uh, we have a doubleheader the following day against Triton Junior College at Triton Junior College, which will be good. Our guys will get to face a you know uh, a good junior college. We'll do all that. Um, that first weekend we'll still use we'll use as a tryout uh, for for a lot of the guys because we have a few arms that are that are pretty good arms. We're going to see if they're the right fit. So like those guys will come out that first weekend for those doubleheaders. We'll slot all that good stuff. Then and, uh, the following week we're at the PBR Fall Championships in Indy. Uh, and then the following week, the PBR Fall Championships at The Rock, which will be a good one, like Red Scout team and some other really good teams are in that. 
then the following week, we're not sure, like probably doubleheader against um, a couple other scout teams, maybe, you know, Bulls, Indiana or Reds or something. Uh, and then we're in Jupiter. So really leading up to it, you know, making sure that our, our, our pitchers are in the right spot. You know, everyone's ramping up the correct way. But I think it's super important to be together for those four or five weeks before. I'm sure. So kind of moving in, I just got a couple more questions here for you. Um, so whether this is for the Cub Scout team, whether this is for elite baseball training, I know a lot of a lot of within today's game, when it comes to college recruiting, travel baseball plays a big role in that. For you being the director of a travel organization, being the director of this Cub Scout team, what role do you play in recruiting for a lot of different players? Well, uh, are you talking about in reference to elite Cubs or both? Both, both. Yeah. So, so it's, it's different, you know, it's different in Cubs. And we kind of went through that a minute ago where it's like me, Bobby and Jerry are just involved in the entire process. Plus like so many high level guys are reaching out to us. And I think, I think this year is going to be the first year where we have to do more recruiting. I think next year after, you know, kind of the experience we're going to have this fall, I think a lot of players are really going to start reaching out to us, you know? Um, so, so it's just different, like in a travel ball org, as far as like, um, you know, you're talking about as far as recruiting players or the college recruiting. So, yeah. So I may have the word. I may, I mean, great. I mean, answered it great, I guess, but I may have worded it a little different. Um, So I meant like on the college scene, like let's say there's a guy for elite or a couple, maybe a couple of those uncommitted guys on your Cub Scout team roster. What role are you playing within the uh, recruiting process? Okay. Now, yeah. So once again, completely different on both because there are a handful of guys on the Cub Scout team that are uncommitted, but it's different they're uncommitted with multiple offers, right? So they might have five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 offers, might have three offers. And they're just kind of trying to figure out like, so if you, you see the Cubs roster, it's like, oh, well, there's five of these five kids uncommitted. They all have numerous offers. They're just kind of trying to figure out like, you know, where, where do I want to go? So in that situation, we're more of like guidance where it's like, okay, here's kind of what I think of this school. Here's where I see you at. Um, you know, I think might be the best decision for you. Ultimately, it's their decision. So it's more of like a, a liaison or a guide, a counselor, I guess, in that situation. And then if they say, Hey, like I, I had two guys that were uncommitted that, that reached out to me the other day on the Cub Scout team and said, yeah, I've got a bunch of offers, but like, I'm really interested in these tools. Do you have connections? Which I did. So I forwarded on some info and started those conversations as well with the elite side. It's much different. Um, it, it's, it's the same in a lot of ways, but like it's not a scout team. So you're not going to have 25 division one kids on one team or 30, whatever we end up having, you know, a lot of it is like, you know, the, the thing that makes us different at Elite is, like, we put a lot of work into the college recruiting process. You know, like, when we go down to – so, like, the whole thing starts very individualized. I start the conversations when guys are, you know, in their sophomore year. We start to have those conversations about, okay, this is honestly where you are. This is where I think you can be, and let's try to figure out how to bridge that gap. You know, because when you start that recruiting process, it doesn't matter. If, if a kid throws 75, a lot of times they come to me and they say, well, I want to go to Vanderbilt. So then you have to have a, you know, more realistic conversation of, you know, this is where you want to be. And it's not just like the biggest and best school. It's the best fit for you. But what we do is we shoot a lot of video. You know, we have things. We have TrackMan. We have Edgertronic. We put all this stuff in, you know, craft and tailor really good custom videos. I teach our players on a one-on-one -on -one basis how to email, how to reach out. I have numerous seminars. I bring in schools and players to talk to our guys. Everyone has detailed Google Drive folders where everything is stored in video contact list we know who we talk to but the biggest part about it is like once these kids get to that 17 u level like i'm with them you know i don't coach a team i don't have time to coach a team but what we'll do is if we're in kansas city this year like at the super 17 like we were this year like i'll fly in for three days i'll contact a ton of schools you walk around the complex you know I'm handing out rosters i'm having conversations where other fields might have five or six guys we might have 25 or 30 just because there's so much legwork to get those guys to come over. And then you have those conversations during the game. What are you looking for? Okay, maybe this guy struggled today, but here's kind of where he has been. Whereas they might walk away. Now you get them to come back, you see him again. They, you know, they see they see the guy when he's on and all of a sudden they offer a scholarship. So like, that's why I think like you see like, you know, my team was good this year. We were 16 and 13 and playing against really good competition, but like we've got 61 guys, you know, and we're going to have a couple more. And like that stuff wouldn't happen if we we're not, putting the work in behind the scenes a lot of those kids would just, they wouldn't be going to the schools they are yeah i'm sure so i got two final questions here for you same two two same two final questions i asked jerry and bobby um so with this new ncaa regulation that we talked about earlier we talked about how it's going to affect college baseball but how do you see this new ncaa recruiting regulation affect travel baseball how do you see that affect elite baseball training as well 
kind of take us through your thoughts on that. I don't think it affects that at all, really. I mean, um, you know, we've known about this rule now for a few months. Uh, we just went through our whole tryout season. Like, nothing changes. I mean, because, like, really, unless you're, like, a big-time guy at a 15-, 16-year-old level, you're not going to get recruited, you know, and, or committed unless you're, like, a, a power five, like, for sure guy. So, you know, I don't know. I don't think it affects anything in a big way. Like, I, I think it's a good thing because it's going to take pressure off a lot of kids and it's going to allow them to like develop as 15 and 16 year olds, which is what they need to do. You know, everyone wants to post like run and gun and high velo videos and throwing as hard as you can, but it's it, it, and not throwing strikes and not working on a breaking ball. It's like, Hey, we're not doing that anymore. You know, like we're going to continue to throw harder and learn how to throw harder, but like it's going to give you more time to slow down and actually develop the meaningful parts of the game. Yeah, I'm sure that's very similar to what Bobby was saying. But then final question here for you, you know, looking into the future. So, you know, beyond this fall, in the 2024, 2025, you know, kind of just take us through, you know, elite baseball training, maybe your career as well, and this Cub Scout team. What's the vision you're seeing at this moment in time for the years to come for, you know, all three of those? Well, the vision with the Cubs is, is pretty simple. It's it's to be the best the best team in the country and in, go to Jupiter and compete and win that tournament. Uh, so, you know, that's, I think, all of our goal. That's what we want to do. We want to, we want to be known for that. Like, we go down to Jupiter, kick butt, our guys get drafted, all that awesome stuff. And, and that's very realistic. And, and with Elite, the goal is to continue to do what we're doing. You know, it's continue to grow and expand and give as much value to people as possible. Like, be the best training organization in the country, be the best organization at, at college recruiting, put together high-level teams, have great facilities, staff, uh, and, and that's the goal. Okay, awesome. Well, you know, that's the final question here for you. Obviously, you know, really appreciate you coming on the show, and best of luck as you guys go through this fall. You know, those couple four or five tournaments leading up to Jupiter. And I did talk to Bobby before. I think I might be heading down to Jupiter with you guys, maybe doing some interviews with all your ball players. And again, just you know, thanks for making this all happen. Thanks for connecting me with all these different guys. And again, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. It was really, really fun getting to know the Cub Scout team um, through these three interviews this week. So really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. I'm excited. Hopefully you can make it down there with us.